You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the ZabeCast, my frustration with the horrible state of cell phone call quality has reached the boiling point. Either talk me off the ledge or perhaps educate me on what I'm missing. LeVar Ball has caused the typically woke media to start furiously clutching their pearls. I drink an ice-cold Diet Coke on air, and I hate myself for doing it. Your bonus, 40 of me, is locked and loaded, so crank it up and let's go! Oh, here we go! Tuesday, June 18, 2019. Thank you for downloading and welcome to another edition of Hotel Confidential. Just going to be me and you for about 40 minutes today. I'm sitting here in my hotel room in Milwaukee and I've decided after the positive feedback, uh, very good positive feedback from last night's episode or yesterday's episode, I'll do it again today. And then you'll probably say, okay, that's enough. Bring the guest back on. I don't know, maybe it'll be a whole week of this, maybe not. So let's start talking, shall we? I want to talk about cell phone effectiveness, cell phone, shall I say, quality. In the year 2019, it is, for lack of a better word, absolute shit on a stick in terms of reliability, quality, and pleasure of use. It is beyond fucking maddening. Two examples from today specifically. We had on Jay Michael from the Indianapolis Star to talk NBA today on my afternoon show on the Team 980. We're having a nice conversation. Everything is coming through loud and clear. And then all of a sudden, his cell phone decides to start taking a shit for no reason whatsoever. Indecipherable, cutting in and out. Uh, are you there? Are you there, Jay? Jay, what's going Okay. All right. We'll call you right back. Hang up the phone, call him right back. Okay, we're there. All right, go ahead, J. Michael. All right, as I was saying, you see teams, and then it takes a shit again. And I have to dump out of it. It is, to me, one of the most infuriating things that this has not been fixed by now. And there's a couple layers to it. Let's peel them back. First and foremost, normally in America, we get what we want, when we want it, and a lot of it. That's how America works. Hat tip Brian Nelson for the man who invented that phrase. Absolutely the way capitalism works. If there's a product that can be made superior 
to other existing products that is something that people would want or will want, and that's a key thing, by the way. Steve Jobs is famous for knowing what consumers would want without what they wanted having been invented first. In other words, he saw further down, further ahead than most people could in terms of saying, well, this is what the cu- this is what people are going to want someday. They're going to want their music to be digital. They're going to want this. Of course, I'm not sure if Jobs saw streaming music as the wave of the future. He did, of course, launch the iTunes store. It's quite popular. And boy, doesn't it seem quaint paying 99 cents for a song once upon a time. I paid 99 cents for certain songs once upon a time, and I thought it was a good deal. I was like, I really like that song. You know what? Here's a dollar, and here's a dollar, and oh, a whole album, here's $10. And then once streaming music came along, I said, well, shit, 10 bucks a month? Eh, you know what? Not only is it a fair price, but I get to splash around and take a swim all over the place with music that I never even thought of. Anyway, I digress. So in America, normally, you get what you want, when you want it, and a lot of it, and at the best price possible, because always companies are coming along to go, hey, this is something that people would want. It is insane to me that either the people don't care about or don't want crystal clear, 100% reliable voice conversations via cellular technology It's inconceivable that people don't want that in enough numbers that that's why the phone companies are like, "Eh, you know, we could address this, but fuck it. Let's worry about 5G. Let's worry about faster download speeds. Let's worry about app delivery. Let's worry about data management. Let's worry about streaming video this. Fuck all that. Give me a phone that works. And I know I'm screaming now. I'm going to calm down. But I'm going to get riled up again. I have read a little bit about this issue. I know enough just to be dangerous. And I'm sure I'm going to get long-winded explanations from you who are in the tech business, the cell phone business, whatever. And that's great. I would like to know more by way of you people out there. What you mean, you people? Uh, That's uh, Robert Downey Jr., Tropic Thunder. Ever heard of it? Anyway. I've read a little bit about it, and they talk about how, well, you know, your voice gets carried on the same nodes and networks as data, and sometimes the packets that compromise your, or that consist of your voice, they get separated, and there's dropouts, and sometimes during high-traffic areas or high-traffic times of cell phone usage, your your phone call is not going to have the best quality, but it's still going to, it's not going to drop, it's going to have pretty good, fuck all that to the moon, don't care, don't want to know, blah, blah, blah. How come nobody has come up with the cell phone that sounds like you're standing next to the person and never, ever fucking drops there? How come nobody's come up with that phone? Well, you see, Zabe, it's not that simple, okay? You got to have, and I stop you right there, it's 2019. Cellular technology is not a new technology. We have invested millions, no, billions of dollars in cellular networks. I don't want to hear, well, topography this. I don't want to hear, well, you know, sometimes signal gets blocked that. I don't want to hear it. I want you to give me a phone that works all the time, 
reliably. I know you can do it. It has to be able to be done. It's just that seemingly no one's working on it. And it's not getting any better. So I had that interview with J. Michael go south. And, of course, asking guests these days to try to find a hard line, <laughs> you'd, you'd be easier off asking your guest, who is already coming on your radio show, to talk to you for 10 or 15 minutes at no, at no reimbursement to them, no payday for them, to ask them, well, uh, could you find a hard line as well? <laughs> Why don't you ask them to find a payphone while you're at it? It's not going to happen. So you have to rely on cellular technology, which is horrible. And I know there's ways to go, well, you could use uh, FaceTime audio. That's a bit more robust and a bit more reliable. Yeah, but it depends. Uh, Can you FaceTime audio us, J. Michael? Yeah, well, I've got an Android, so how do we work that? It's just too much of a hassle. So there's that element of it, that why hasn't a company said, hey, we're going to develop a phone that... The main feature, yeah, we're going to have apps and we're going to have data, but our ma- our phone, our phone is going to be the rock solid, steady phone to talk to people on. And aside from, and you could say, well, okay, Zabe, nice niche concern. You're a broadcaster, and boo hoo, a couple of times a week, a phone interview goes south, and you've got to hang up on them. Big fucking deal. Okay, fair point. Let me tell you how many times I've tried to have conversations for business and or with my family in which the phone drops out. My phone, their phone, who knows whose phone? And you have to stop and go, uh, 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 are you, you still there? I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it dropped off right after I'd sure like to get some cocaine and and then I didn't hear the rest of it. Could you repeat that? Because you had me at cocaine, but I wanted to hear the rest of what you were saying. It happens all the time. To the point where, you know, tonight I'm talking to my wife and uh, she, I, I ask her a question about where something was that they went to today. She says where it was. And right as she told me where it was, I then repeat the question. I go, where? And she gets annoyed at me and she says, Winchester. And I go, hey, honey, the phone dropped out. Just a quick one second dropout. I bet that happens to you as well. You had a long day, you're tired, things didn't go well or whatever, and you say, can this phone call just work? So, I know, maybe I'm being Pollyanna-ish, but I don't think I am. Something is happening, there is some sort of cabal that is preventing cellular phone call technology from being where it should be in 2019. It should be way better than this, it isn't. Why? How? How come nobody else can say, step aside, motherfuckers. We got the phone that's going to be the phone to end all you other phones. We're going to piss on your phones. Because it's not just me, whether it's a conversation with my family or whether it's interviews for a sports show. I guarantee you there are lawyers and businessmen and other people that need crystal clear voice technology to be able to talk to people reliably and not have it drop out. Where is it? Can somebody deliver it? I'd, I'd love to have it. I'd pay for it. I'd, I'd pay a lot of money for it. Shit, I'm paying a lot of money right now, as you are and everyone is, for your monthly cell phone bill for a phone that doesn't fucking work. And thus endeth today's sermon on that. Let's turn to something a bit more positive, and that is... 
I want to go back to uh, Gary Woodland's shot on number 14 at the U.S. Open on Sunday. It had something that was unique. First of all, I think it's one of the great long shots. It's one of the greatest long shots in golf history. Not a long shot, but it's one of the great long shots in golf history. When you're talking the greatest golf shots in history, many of them are putts. A lot of them are short shots, chip shots like Tom Watson chipping in at 17 at Pebble Beach to win the U.S. Open in 82. Tiger Woods with the up the ramp and down there and stop and the Tiger and the Nike logo showing and drops in and Vern Lundquist saying, in your life, that's a short shot. That's one of the great shots in golf history. In terms of long shots, Gary Woodland's three wood from 263 yards to a ridiculous tiny little green perched up on a little mound at number 14 is easily one of the great shots. And what is now becoming part of the golf history books or the record books or whatever you want to call it is the visual delivery of shot tracer, pro tracer, whatever you want to call it, to the shots themselves. And as a golfer, you know how when you hit a shot and you see it flying and you think, man, it's, it looks like it's right on the pin, but man, don't hook too much. You're watching it with your naked eyes, as they say. <laughs> who, puts their, who puts clothes on their eyes, Abe? I get it. You're watching a shot with your naked eyes, and you, as a golfer, are seeing the precision required for it to either be a great shot or fucked as fish. And so you're watching it. Don't hook, don't hook, don't hook, don't hook. That shot tracer of Gary Woodland's three-wood looks to me at first like it's it's hooking too much and that it's going to keep hooking by the time it travels the insane 263 yards in the air. Which, by the way, let me pause for a second. A lot of golfers think they hit the ball 250, 260, 270. Sometimes guys will brag, yeah, I cranked one 300 yards this weekend. No, you didn't. Get a laser rangefinder. When you hit a 260-yard drive, you go measure it and, and see what that looks and feels like. 263 in the air. Insane. So the shot tracer looks like it's hooking too much, but then there's a little strange wiggle in which it either straightens out or moves back to the right. Now, it's not impossible that a shot from the fairway with a three-wood could move both ways, Sometimes golf balls do seem to move both ways in the air. A lot of times it's due to either a little bit of mud or dirt on the ball or the lie that you have in the rough, by the way, it puts a little funky spin on it, or maybe wind pushing it one direction. This little wiggle by Shot Tracer, to me, looked odd. And here's what I need to find out because I don't quite know. Shot Tracer in golf on television works one of two different ways to my understanding. They use these TrackMan devices, expensive $25,000 units. They look like just a flat, square, orange uh, box that sits on a tripod behind the tee boxes, and it picks up the actual flight of the golf ball. Other technology, I believe, uses the data from the strike itself, club head speed, angle, spin rate, launch angle, and it then extrapolates the shot based on that. I think 
TrackMan actually watches the ball. It's, it can sense the ball. It can see the ball, even though there's no camera lens on the unit itself. But the radar sees the ball as far away as two, 300 yards and tracks it. I want to know, did that ball really wiggle right or did it actually, was it just a glitch in the software that painted the line itself? These are the kind of things that golf nerds care about. Other great long shots in golf history would have to be Gene Saracen's double eagle on 15 at the Masters back in 36 or whatever. Ben Hogan's one iron that was immortalized in a black and white photo at Marion in 1958, something like that, 60, something like that. I would say Phil Mickelson, three wood at 17 at Muirfield when he won the British Open a few years back. Hit three wood, three wood, threw a couple of bunkers, ran it up onto the green in two uh, at Muirfield. Incredible. Three wood there was one of the great long shots of all time. Uh, Nicholas, his two iron into 17 at Pebble Beach in 1972 that one hopped and hit the flag stick would be one. Um, Just trying to think off the top of my head. Other great long shots in golf history. Tiger had two of them. One ended up in a win. It was not a major, though. It was on the 18th hole at the Canadian Open at Glen Abbey. He's in a bunker. He's got to go over a lake, 220 yards or something, hits like five iron out of the sand to the back of the green, back fringe. Sick shot. He also hit a three iron, I want to say, out of a bunker in a, on a hanging lie, ball below his feet, over a stand of trees, uphill to the par four 18th hole at Hazeltine, the year that he lost to Y.E. Yang. Or maybe the year he lost to Rich Beam. Interesting. Tiger lost at Hazeltine twice in the PGA. That's fucked up now that I think about it. Yeah. Beam beat him there and Yang beat him there. Son of a bitch. Both guys careered at that that week. That might be the most insane, impossible, you've got to be kidding me shot ever in television golf. And of course it's Tiger. Okay, let's take a break here. I have right now easily one of the most delicious things in life, and that is a cold Diet Coke in a can, because the cans are always a little bit colder. Oh, can you hear that? And I am pouring it into a into a glass filled to the brim with crystal clear hotel ice. Hotel ice is the best. Those super clear little cubes. And it now super cools this drink. Let me just go ahead. Mm. Mm. God, that is good. And yet, as good as this is, I have got to stop drinking Diet Coke. It's the worst. And I don't know what it's going to take. I keep going, trying, saying to myself, you, you got to do it, man. This stuff is a can of fucking chemicals. Phenyl, phenylketonurics contains phenylalanine. Oh, oh yeah, phenylalanine. Yeah, I'm definitely, uh, I'm under my daily intake, my needed intake of phenylalanine. Need some more of that. Carbonated water, caramel color, aspartame, bad. 
phosphoric acid, don't need it. Potassium benzoate, bad. That's, by the way, to protect taste. I love, they put that on the can of Diet Coke, to protect the taste. Yes, we must protect the taste. Natural flavors, okay, that doesn't sound too bad. Citric acid, citric acid I guess that's okay. And caffeine, all right, well. Natural flavors, citric acid, caffeine, they're all decent. I would imagine. The potassium benzoate has to be bad for you. Aspartame is fucking terrible for you. You're going to give me cancer, I'm sure. Phosphoric acid, I don't need. And whatever this phenylalanine is, no. Yet, God, when it when a Diet Coke is super cold like this, I mean, and it's a, and I have to have it in a, in a nice, you know, glass glass, a little, you know, bar glass. Whew. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, I could drink water. Sure. I, I heard you through the podcast right there. You're screaming at me. Drink water, dummy. It just tears my system up. Water? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It just makes me feel all inside. And I know you're going to suggest, well, do flavored water. You know, the flavored waters, the Mio's and stuff, they got the same fake-ass pseudo-sweet chemical bullshit, essentially, not down to the letter, as Diet Coke or other diet drinks. There's no getting around it. My my nutritionist, Dr. Hillary, says you got to get off the Diet Coke. I know that if I could get off the Diet Coke, it would reduce my recreational eating because that's unfortunately how I eat. If you were to take me to my favorite fast food place or quick serve place, Qdoba or Payway or something like that, and sit me down with my favorite meal and say, oh, and by the way, the Diet Coke, no. Here's your water. Enjoy. I'd get up and I'd march out of the restaurant. Because to me, that's not enjoyable. The combination of the food plus the cold, sweet drink of Diet Coke is the magic that satisfies me. And guess what? Food should not be about satisfying you. Food should be about nourishing you. I know this in my head. I've been told this. I don't dispute it, but I've got to get away from it. And that's a, that's a process. So right now though, I'm having this Diet Coke, or at least I'm going to take a big old sip of it and then we'll continue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Good. LeVar Ball was on ESPN and he uh, said something that caused People to clutch their pearls. Apparently, Molly Kiram, Molly Kiram Rose now, they are married. Good for Jalen Rose. Molly Kiram is, whew, she is a beaut. She uh, she was asking LeVar Ball about, you know, her his son being traded to the New Orleans Pelicans. And amongst the things he said, including <laughs> that he actually wanted his son to be traded, excuse me, to the Pelicans, also, all this burping, that'll be something I won't miss either once I quit Diet Coke. Uh, he said, I wanted my son to be traded to the Pelicans. The reason I was saying that I didn't want him to be traded was I was playing chess. I was essentially mind warping the old <laughs> Los Angeles Lakers. Okay, whatever. That's not what got people clutching their pearls, some people. What got some people clutching their pearls was... When Molly Kiram said, okay, let me let me shift gears with you for a second. 
or or she asked, "Can I shift gears with you uh, for a second? And Lavar Ball said, "Absolutely, Molly, you can shift gears with me anytime." <gasps> oh my God, was that a sexual reference? Does that mean grabbing his dick? And using it like a stick shifter. And I'm in first gear. Second gear. Third gear. I mean, it could have. Probably did. But seriously, you're going to call ESPN put out a statement saying how utterly inappropriate that comment was. I'm not sure if they said in the statement they're never going to have LeVar Ball on again. Chances are the answer is no. Just like after she went after Christine Leahy and was totally disrespectful, dismissive, sexist on FS1, they still had him back on again. Because these shows and these networks don't care. They have no high-mindedness. They are going after the lowest hanging fruit they can, and they'll even pick up rotting fruit of content sitting on the ground if needed. LeVar Ball will probably, if I had to bet, be back on ESPN at some point. They'll go away from him for a while, But at some point, him or his kid will be in the news, and they'll bring him back on, and they'll do the same old song and dance. All right, got some rapid fires here. Let's just go through them. This is a good tweet from somebody named Caleb Sinan. Wow, just had to unfollow OJ. He's funny on Twitter, but give him a Google search. You will not like him anymore. (laughs) 85,000 plus heart buttons. Can't be wrong. Pretty damn funny. Have you ever heard of this company called houseofhoodies.com? Actually, thehouseofhoodies.com. The last thing I need is any more hoodies. The last thing I need is any more sports-related gear. But again, like Diet Coke, it's my catnip. I don't know if I can get away from it. Sort of like the networks with LeVar Ball. The networks to LeVar Ball, me to Diet Coke and hoodies, I can't stop. I can't help myself. Basically, this is a company that makes hoodies that are kind of a combination of part hoodie, part jersey, and they are glorious. I'm looking at a Dwayne Haskins number seven Redskin jersey. That's, well, jersey, Redskins hoodie. And it's got the official Redskins logo on the front. So I would imagine they got a license from the NFL for this. I don't think they could be in business for long doing this without the NFL's approval. And it has what looks like some stitched on uh, raised secondary armbands and fabric, as well as his number seven on the front crest of the hoodie. It's got the beautiful lace-up neck, which is awesome. And on the back, it's got his name and the number like a real jersey with actual sort of stitched-on lettering and numbers. Oh, man. And it's a hoodie with drawstrings. They've got them in – they got them for the NBA. They've got them for the NFL. They've got them for baseball. they got them for hockey. Oh, my God. Here's what I don't get. They say that when you order them, it takes a couple of weeks because they – I guess they make them – custom. So they they don't have a big bunch of products sitting on hand in different sizes. They get their orders in and they go ahead and produce them. But the price on them doesn't seem possible. $74.99. 
that's a that's a pretty good price. So if anyone out there has actually bought something from the House of Hoodies or knows more about it, let me know. Cause it 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 looks good, although I honestly don't really need any more. Jay Bellis is at it again. There's an article by ESPN.com titled Ranking Colleges That Produce the Most Potentially Impactful NBA Players. Billis chimed in with Interesting article. One thing, college programs don't produce pros. They recruit them. Good coaches at every level help players improve, but don't produce pros. Which NBA team produces the most NBA all-stars? That's his counter-argument to this. Oh, boy. Here we go with Billis and all this. Look, I'm not saying he's necessarily wrong. It's true that certain players who go to college for one year and then jump right to the NBA are not being produced by any college. They are passing through. They are mere um, brief occupants at a university in America. I'll grant you that, Jay. But there are absolutely players that end up being produced by programs that did not come in as, oh my God, this guy's totally going to be an NBA player. And whether it's the coaches that produce what turns out to be an NBA lottery pick or or something like that, or whether it's the competition level or who knows, maybe just the experience of being in college and maturing just a bit, it doesn't matter. This is a word – this is now word litigating, much like the word owner, by people who are trying to be super-duper woke. It's not like these it's not like the set, the the article said ranking the colleges that invent NBA players out of average recruits. That's not the point of the story. Produce is just a general term. It encompasses all the players who come through the program and end up going to the pros. This is needless quibbling from Jay Billis if you ask me. I would say that Ja Morant would be a guy that's going to be the second overall pick in the draft who was probably produced by Murray State because He didn't come in like, oh, this guy's going to be a one and done. Could you say Davidson produced Steph Curry? Or is that unfair? Did Steph Curry come into Davidson as a pro-ready player who should have left after one year? I don't know. The first bit of drama has come in the Aaron Rodgers and uh, new head coach Matt LaFleur era. Rodgers tells Mike Silver of NFL Media, and a story that Silver says is coming early this week, writes Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk, quote, I don't think you want me to turn off 11 years of experience. There's stuff that not many people in the league can do at the line of scrimmage. That's not a humble brag. That's just a fact. Quote, unquote, Aaron Rodgers. For starters, replies Florio in this piece, it's not a humble brag, it's just a brag. And it also may be a fact. Well, wait a minute. What's the definition of a humble brag? Saying, yeah, yeah, no big deal. I ran a marathon today. No big deal. (laughs) I always like to call humble brag on guys who mention unsolicited, I went to the gym, I'm going to the gym, I took a run today. Yeah, you know, I, I saw that new uh, that new store down on Fifth. I was taking a run today. I was I was running today, and I saw it as I eh. just say you saw the store. Don't tell me about your workout. You know, I was coming back from the gym today. Eh. Don't need to hear about it. 
Congratulations. I'm proud of you. But it's not a fact that has caused LaFleur, writes Florio, to change his planned approach, apparently. I'll get into this more on Tuesday morning on the new 97.3 The Game on the Steve Zabin Show, the appropriately titled and handsomely staffed Steve Zabin Show. This is going to be interesting because I guess Silver digs into the whole, hey, LaFleur's system is going to have a lot more of, here's the play, Aaron, run the play. Not choose something you like better, drop back, dance around in the pocket, escape six guys, and then fling it downfield. Timing, precision, schemed offense. More of that, less of Rodgers. Rodgers saying, quote, I don't think you want me to turn off 11 years. There's stuff that not many people in the league can do at the line. Hmm. Interesting. Is this an Aaron Rodgers shot across the bow to the floor? Is this Aaron Rodgers' way of going public as saying, hey, this guy's going to turn me into just a system quarterback. He's going to take the crown jewel of improvisational badassery, this side at least of Patrick Mahomes, and turn me into a plug-and-play Alex Smith. I don't know. We'll see. What else do we got here to talk about? Uh, ranking every MLB mascot USA Today. Uh, nope. Not going to do that one. Barstool Sports reports one of the reasons that Gary Woodland decided to get into golf and get out of basketball was he had to guard Kirk Heinrich when he was playing for Washburn University against Kansas. <laughs> and he realized quickly, yeah, I'm a pretty good shooter and I'm okay, but God, I can't guard this guy. Interesting backstory. MGM to adapt Rodney Dangerfield comedy back to school as unscripted series. Dan Wetzel replies, Back to School is one of the all-time great sports movies. Middle-aged Thornton Mellon pulling off the triple Lindy to win the dive meet for Grand Lakes University is the definition of clutch performance. This quote-unquote reality show just sounds painful. More stories coming out of the DR about Americans dying and getting sick. Apparently now there was a group of parrot heads, Jimmy Buffett fans, who went down to the DR and got like 17 people got violently ill and couldn't leave their room for almost the whole trip. Some of them were feeling the effects later on once they got back from their trip, which was back in April. Now, why wasn't this reported in April? I don't know. Maybe because they didn't think at the time it was much. It was a trip of about 100, 150 people, something like that. So 17 that got ill. You think, okay, it could be food poisoning. Now I see this tweet Sent to me by way of Jay Clemens, superfan Jay Clemens. Thank you very much, Jay, and a good writer himself and a good um, fantasy football guy. Jay sends me a tweet of a woman who takes a bottle of so-called Ciroc, uh, what do they make, vodka? Yes, yeah, Ciroc-flavored vodka, pours it into a glass of nothing but ice and cranberries, starts to stir it around, and the entire mixture becomes sort of frozen and coagulated and sort of gelled up. Is it counterfeit alcohol that's being sold that's making people sick in the Dominican Republic? I don't know. But man, oh man, I'm glad I'm not going there anytime soon. That's for sure. Somebody has synced up Kawhi Leonard's laugh that he delivered at 
the parade or at the celebration in Toronto on, on Monday where he exaggerated the ha, ha, ha. They synced it up with the four bounces on the rim. Game seven, buzzer beater, 90-90, end of regulation against the Philadelphia 76ers in the second round. Bounce, 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 bounce. Bounce, weighs that five? Bounce, 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 bounce. Yeah, four. Ha, 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 ha. Michael McCann, will there be legal fallout to Kevin Durant's Achilles injury? Did he give informed consent to play? Oh, God, really? Are we doing this? I do like Michael McCann a lot, but this sounds like a bit of a reach. Although I'll still read it because guess what? It might actually have some interesting concepts of informed consent and did the doctors lead him astray, et cetera, et cetera. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Bishop Bullwinkle, the pastor and singer and viral superstar who authored Hell to the Na has died at age 70. Hell no, to the no, 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 hell no. All right, I'm a terrible singer, but I do love that song. Uh, let's see. Can you tell I'm scrolling? Josh McCown will be an ESPN NFL analyst after retiring from the NFL. Josh McCown was on any number of teams, probably five or six, maybe seven. I don't have it in front of me right now. It doesn't really matter. Josh McCown was that hollaback girl at quarterback that you thought, she's fun. She's cute. I kind of like her. And I mean, I mean, she's not really skinny, but she's not fat either. Still fun to romp around with. Uh, he's going to be an ESPN, ESPN NFL analyst. I think this is great. I know that people will say you don't need any more ex-NFL players on the set at ESPN, but remember, they keep cycling through guys. A lot of guys are, are gone. And you're like, oh, yeah, whatever happened to him? No, they got rid of him. And I, I like the fact they're bringing more quarterbacks on. Remember, the NFL is what? A TV show about quarterbacks. That's what it is. And so the more quarterbacks on TV that can help break down and explain quarterback play, the better. We probably don't need any more cliche spewing defensive linemen or linebackers or whatever. What they should have on TV more, though, and they don't have, is more offensive linemen. The O-linemen are the smartest guys on a football field. They have to know everyone else's responsibilities and positions and how to play them on every single play, and they're really smart guys. More offensive linemen, please, on NFL television. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Come on. You know, Zabe, I, I don't mind you being off the cuff and everything, but you should have prepared just a little bit. Good tweet from a guy named Billy at Billy0151. Accidentally said happy Father's Day to my dad in person instead of writing a paragraph on social media. Ooh, zing. I like it. And then one more. I don't know. What's going on with the baseballs in Major League Baseball? But guess what? People are now saying, you know, maybe the baseballs are juiced. We're on a pace to obliterate the MLB single season home run total. Hold on. Let me hit pause right here. Single season home run total. We're on pace to obliterate it. Uh, 2019, currently 2,755 home runs. Last year was five. Well, I'm not going to throw these numbers at you. Doesn't really matter. But home runs uh, are up seventeen and a half percent 
from last year, 17.5%. I know that now baseball, it's all about the home run or striking out. Singles are for suckers. Doubles are for suckers. But is the baseball juice, is it, is it tighter? Is it flying farther? Does it have something to do with the seams? You would think there'd be an easy way to measure baseball's liveliness. Put it in some kind of machine that measures velocity coming off a standard simulated bat at a simulated speed and say, okay, these are more lively, these are not. Remember, baseballs are still a very hand-labor-intensive thing. They're made in Costa Rica, I believe. They're wound. They've got a cork core. Uh, the the skin on them is treated and cured and stitched up. And you know, baseball players say they're convinced that the home run that the balls in the home run derby are souped up like golf balls. But they can't prove it. They just grip them and they feel them. They go, man, feel how tight this ball is. I've heard theories about how sometimes if the seams on a baseball are too low. In other words, they don't raise up enough. The pitchers have a hard time getting a grip on them to throw their favorite breaking pitches. So therefore, oh, and also the flatter the seams are, depending on how the balls are manufactured or hand manufactured, that if the seams are flatter, when the ball is spinning in the air, it's not grabbing as much air. It's not catching as much air. So therefore, it's not going to move as much because you need air resistance and differences in air pressure, depending on how a ball is spinning and how it's thrown, for it to break and move and dip and everything else. I would love to, although I'd be terrified, I'd love to stand in a batter's box and just see a major league pitcher throw some pitches past me. Fastball, slider, curve, splitter. I I mean, I'd I'd piss my pants. I'd piss my pants. I'd shit my pants. It'd be clean up on aisle four. And these pitchers have such control. You would not get hit. (laughs) You could stand there, and I'm sure you'd just be like, holy shit. How can anybody on earth hit this? Yet people do. Anyway, back to the baseball. So are the baseballs juiced? How do we tell? How do we know? Baseball's done investigations into this where they have – you know, say, well, we checked with our factory and we've sent representatives down there. We see nothing out of the ordinary. At some point, maybe baseball, I know this is going to be very unpopular, maybe baseball should transition to a uniform ball, maybe a one-piece ball somehow. I don't know how you'd do this because it's not like golf balls that are made out of a synthetic cover. A baseball still needs to be actual cow that is skinned, treated, colored and you know applied and stitched into onto a baseball for grip purposes. I mean you could you could make a synthetic leather baseball, I'm sure. And then it would be consistent. And you could make a baseball a two-piece ball that that performs similarly in terms of how it flies, how it hits, how it compresses, how it bounces, how it spins. I'm sure you could engineer one that would be right down almost to the specs of a hand-produced baseball. But who's going to spend that money? And who really cares at the end of the day? That's the other thing, too. Okay, home runs are up. Great. Some Someday they'll be down. What happens when, because of how baseball is changing as a game, the powers that be finally relent and say, you know what? 
there's too many home runs and too many strikeouts, so guess what? We're going to lower the mound or we're going to move the mound back. Trying to think what would lead to uh, the desired outcome of fewer home runs and more balls in play. I think lowering the mound was talked about, and that would produce guys swinging, making contact more often. But if the mound is lowered, yes, there'll be more balls in play, but there'll also be more home runs because lower mound means less advantage for the pitcher. Not sure there's any easy answers any way you look at it. Okay, I am going to finish off this ice-cold glass of Diet Coke, and then I swear to God, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up, I'm going to drink water. I'm already shuddering at the thought of it. It's so crazy. So what, I get up, I brush my teeth, and then I drink a fresh bottle of water? It's going to slosh around on my... I'm going to feel so empty. And then I'm going to try to eat well. Just for one day. One day in a row. Worry about Tuesday. And then we'll get to Wednesday next. That'll do it for me. Thank you for listening. Another edition of Hotel Confidential in the books. Maybe the guests come back tomorrow. We'll see. Depends on my schedule. A lot of things going on this week. I appreciate you downloading. Get the podcast app. Uh, Just go to wherever your podcasts are delivered and search for Zabecast and get the app. It's, It's very easy and it all collects all these episodes right there on your phone. Thanks for listening. Have yourself a great Tuesday in the middle of summer and we will see you next time.